This is the fourth of Dr. Hunter's messages pertaining to work. First, he talked about dealing with weird people at work. Next, feeling unappreciated for your work. Dr. Hunter's last message dealt with losing balance and busyness. And his subject for this fourth message covers disasters. The scripture text from the New American Standard is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white, sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven for them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now let's join Dr. Hunter in the continuation of this most interesting series. His message is entitled, Disasters at Work. Stay tuned. It is so intimidating to preach after that kind of giftedness. And after this scripture, uh, it's so intimidating to preach on Easter and, and Christmas. I mean, the stories are so mind-boggling. Who would try to add anything else? Me. <clears throat> but really, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you know the story already. 
It's, I, there's a story about a little uh, Kentucky kid who decided he'd learn how to play the violin. And he goes out on his front porch one day. <laughs> he's scratching all up and down that thing. And, of course, he has his trusty basset hound beso- beside him, you know. And the basset hound is singing right along. Do the whole thing. After about a half an hour, his mother raises the window and says, Junior, for kind out loud, can't you find anything to play that that dog doesn't know? Well, I probably won't be able to find anything this morning that even the dogs don't know. But, but there are some powerful reminders in the Scripture that may be of value to you. Let me, let me try one. First verse in the 20th chapter of John. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. Here was a woman who had experienced the ultimate disaster in her life. I am sure that her first inclination would have been like yours and like mine, and that is to get away from that geography, to put as much distance between that horrible experience and yourself as possible. But she didn't. She faced the pain. She stayed there long enough that God himself could talk to her. First lesson from the resurrection. First lesson in disaster. Don't run away. Stay there until you hear a word from God. A personal word from God. And of course... Your first inclination, even as you stay in the midst of that pain, will be the words of blame. You know what, you know what the word of blame is? It's in the second verse and in the thirteenth verse. Let me read it to you. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They. That's the word of blame. They have taken away the body of the Lord, and we don't know where they put it. When the angels asked her why she was crying, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Second inclination in a disaster is to find someone to blame. To find some great conspiracy. To make yourself a victim. To put the power in other people's hands and say, you know, this would have turned out all right if it hadn't been for them. But the difference between a believer who is hurt and a believer who is looking for the power of God is that they don't stop with them. They will not settle with them as an explanation. Look at Joseph. How many times in his life could he have blamed other people for his predicament? Joseph was sold into slavery because of jealous brothers, but he never said, they got me into this. Joseph was thrown into prison because of a a boss's wife who wanted him, and he was trying to stay close to God, and so he was unjustly imprisoned. He never said, this is her fault. Joseph could have gotten out of prison if the 
Baker and the cupbearer, whose dreams he had interpreted, would simply have remembered to carry through on their promise and tell the Pharaoh what a great interpreter of dreams he was. But as soon as they got out, the baker was hanged, and the Bible says the cupbearer forgot his pledge to Joseph. But Joseph never said, this is the cupbearer's fault. No, Joseph said this instead. Verse um, 5 of chapter 45 of Genesis, when he is talking to his brothers... And, of course, they're intimidated to death. Now Joseph is the second most powerful man, not just in Egypt, but in the world, because Egypt is the lead nation back at this time. He's looking at his brothers and he said, Look, now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant in the earth, to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Second giant lesson that will get you ready for resurrection is to learn that even the dire circumstances of life are controlled by God. It is not their fault. It is His doing because he has something better to say to you. Now, why is it that they could not quite grasp, as Eleanor sang, they could not understand what was happening? Look at verse 9 of chapter 20. Look at what it says. It says, <clears throat> For as yet... They, meaning the disciples, did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, those of you who know the word of God, think back and think how many times Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. Exactly what was going to happen. But they didn't have a clue even when it had happened what was going on. Why not? Because all of us have an intellectual belief that is not a resurrection belief until we hear our name. Until we have a personal conversation with God. You see, all of us want to live forever. The dream of immortality has been a part of mankind for as long as mankind has existed. We come up with a lot of theories on how to add length to our lives. How to go on forever. Now, some of them are kind of contrived, but some of them are even popular today. If you think of the doctrine of evolution, when you boil it down, the doctrine of evolution is really immortality in time-release mutated form. Well, I can't live forever, but maybe some of my genes can improve. If you think of the doctrine of reincarnation, that's really the desire for immortality in a quasi-impersonal way. Well, it's not me who's living forever, but kind of part of me kind of goes into something else and then lives for a while, and then that kind of goes into something else and lives for a while. It's kind of me, but it's not me. Impersonal immortality. Think of the doctrine of the Eastern religions, nirvana. Nirvana is diffused immortality. Well, it's like 
breaking a Coke. Remember the grasshopper? Well, grasshopper. <laughs> it's like breaking a Coke bottle and the air in the inside mixes with the air of the outside. It does not cease to exist, but cease to exist as me. So it's diffused immortality. What about cryonics? You know that thing where you're freeze-dried when you die? Kind of like coffee. That's a real desire for immortality. That's, you know, you're, you're supposed to be freeze-dried and they're supposed to come up with, with a cure for whatever killed you and then as soon as they, as they you know, get that, then they microwave you back and they shoot you with, with whatever, see? That's kind of a, an addendum immortality, you know? It, it's, it's just kind of on the end. What about cloning? Cloning is this exciting new possibility that they can take a cell of yours, a somatic cell, and make an exact duplicate. Maybe someday while you're standing right there. Concurrent immortality. We'll watch ourselves go on. You know, all of these hit a desire that God has put in our heart. The Bible says that God set eternity into their hearts. All of us have a desire for eternity, but none of those misguided doctrines of immortality come close to the personal doctrine of resurrection. What Jesus did for Mary that day was so different and so profound. It is really quite unique in the history of mankind. Jesus called her name. And at that point, she realized that immortality is more than longevity. Immortality is about a personal relationship. Some of you believe all the doctrines of Christianity, but you do not yet understand what resurrection is. Because you've never heard his voice. I'll give you a chance for that before this is all said and done, but... Think about that. One more thing. There is another part of this scripture that I have never heard preached on Easter Day, and I want to preach it. Because on that same day, Christ came back, and after he had reestablished a personal relationship with them, he did something absolutely outrageous. Look at what he did in verse 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Do you understand what he's saying here? I don't think most of us do. It's so seldom preached. And I'm just going to touch on it today because it's, it's what we're trying to figure out every time we come together. How in the next ten years we can live out this doctrine. But there is a quality to resurrection that has more to do with your personal, more to do than with just your personal relationship with God and that going on forever. Yes, He conquered death. Yes, He conquered hell. Yes, He forgave sins. But there is a profound place for you with the rest of your life here 
And I don't know why we don't speak of these two together. There was a, there was a story about a little boy who, who, uh, whose mother had twin girls. And this is back in the old days when you kind of had a one-room schoolhouse, and they weren't quite so tight on attendance. And, and uh, he was all tickled about it, and, and he didn't want to go to school very bad. And so his dad said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just go tell your teacher that your mommy just had new twin sisters for you, and maybe she'll just let you come home and spend the day with your twin sisters. Well, he took off to school, and sure enough, about a half an hour later, there he is in the doorway grinning like crazy. He said, Dad, you were right. She did. She let me go. And he said, well, what did your teacher say when you told him you had brand new baby twin sisters? And the boy looked at at him and said, well, I I didn't tell him about both of them. I only told him about one of them because I'm saving the other one until next week. (laughs) I don't know why we save this part till later. They go together. There is a quality to the resurrection. There is a quality to the immediate impact on people's lives that realize, look, if I have a forever relationship with Jesus Christ, that not only affects me, that affects the rest of my life. And my life affects heaven. So few people understand this. Do you understand the way you live your life affects eternity? It is mind-boggling. There's no pride involved. It was you who were chosen by God. It was God who called your name. But what we must realize, Christians, is that we have a role to play, not just in this world, but in all of eternity, in all of heaven. That how we live our life really matters. I can remember the first time, I'm going to, I'll quit with this. I can remember the first time that I was chosen to be in front of a group of people. To have a public responsibility, so to speak. I was in fourth grade, Auburn Elementary School, Shelby, Ohio. And every year, the elementary school grades back then had a Christmas pageant. Now they call it holiday or something like that, but it was a Christmas pageant back then. And they had a play. And they chose me, me, to play the part of the snowman. It was cool. I mean, this was one of the main deals of the whole play. I mean, I wasn't Johnny or Susie or or whatever. And I had to dress up in this silly-looking outfit and have my face painted white and two black eyes. And nobody could recognize me. But it was still, I I had a song that I could sing, just a solo part. I thought, man, I'm set for life here. I can just tell people as I go on, put it on my job application. Was a snowman in the fourth grade play. This kid had a solo. I could just say to people, I don't speak. I was a, I was a snowman in the play. Snowman. I was so excited slash intimidated slash wonderfully pleased slash fearfully awestruck that they would choose me to be the snowman in the fourth grade play. I I could still remember the words of the song. It was just a short song. Well, what can a snowman do when he's all alone and he's feeling blue? 
Oh, what can a snowman do? That's what I'm asking you. What's a song? How's that? I practiced for weeks. I did. I did it all. I did it melodramatically. Oh, what can a snowman do? When he's all alone, when he's feeling blue. I did kind of the Richard Harris thing with Camelot. Remember when he, in that one? Oh, what can a snowman do? Oh, when he's all alone, when he's feeling blue. Got in the shower? Man, when you get surrounded by tile, you can take off. You know that? You ever do that? When you make your voice go like opera? Oh, what can a snowman do? Did you ever do that? Don't do it anymore. It sounds silly. Man, I just... I was... The king of the world. Because I'd been chosen for that part. Now let me ask you this. If a little boy can be that excited over being the snowman in the fourth grade in nobody ever heard of Shelby, Ohio or Auburn Elementary School, how should you feel being chosen to play a role in the shape of Resurrection is not just longevity. It is important living out of the eternal life of God in this world. I'm going to pray, and when I, I want to warn you, when I pray, there's going to be some going to be some confusion up here. But I want you to concentrate on the prayer that I'm about to pray. Because during this prayer, I'm going to give you time to listen in your heart for God calling your name if you've never heard that before. Pray with me. God, we do pray that you would come in this place right now. I don't know how many people are saved and how many people aren't, how many people have always believed in everything you've said, but they've never personally heard you call their name. But I know, God, you want to call their name. I know, God, that if you have this for their lives, that they will be able to hear you. I know there are some who are facing a great deal of pain right now, and they're tempted to blame people. And they don't realize that the reason you let that happen was so that they would turn to you and hear you call their name. So right now, As I pause, God, if you have a place in your kingdom for these people who have not yet heard you call their name, call it right now in their heart. God, for the rest of us who have heard that name, give us just a glimpse of the awesome responsibility we have in our forever relationship with you. Help us to know that how we live the rest of our lives down here will have an impact in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.